Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. Welcome, welcome everybody to the regular Thursday refuge recovery lecture discussion, which started as a book study, really. We're going through the text and I've been doing some um, commentary and um, we're coming to the end and we, we will continue uh, the Thursday night class in some way or another. I've been, um, we're thinking about maybe doing some inventory workshop kind of thing or doing, doing some sort of continuation for the Thursdays. Maybe we'll go back through the book again. We'll see. But last week we completed the, um, the first 90, the first 87 pages, which is really the the core of the program, the four truths and the eightfold path. Um, and now there's a couple chapters left, which are um, kind of commentary um, chapters. And then there's the personal stories, which we probably won't go into and actually need to be updated since not many of those people are very involved with the refuge process anymore. Be good to get some stories from some of you who are um, committed and connected to this path of recovery. I like this chapter. It's short, just a couple pages, but I think it will lead to some um, interesting discussion tonight. Chapter 13, The Path to Heartfulness. As we walk the path of refuge recovery, we gradually uncover a loving heart. This is a process of awakening and healing that could be seen as analogous to an archeological dig. In the early days, we remain on the surface. Mindfulness is our most important tool in the beginning and it will give tremendous relief. It acts like a metal detector that allows us to know that there are precious treasures beneath the ground. Mindfulness is also the shovel that begins the excavation. But as we begin to dig, we will likely first encounter all of the layers of sediment that, we are, that were covering the heart. The heart practices are further refining of the soil. We may begin to sift through the rubble, hoping to immediately find treasure. But in the early days, we may, may end up feeling more unsettled during compassion and kindness exercises because we are just uncovering all of the skeletons that had been buried over the years of our addiction. 
we have probably become quite skilled at covering the insecurity and reactivity of our life, burying our hearts deeper and deeper. At the same time, each meditative effort of mindfulness, forgiveness, kindness, or compassion is another shovelful of dirt, each one getting us closer to the forgotten truth of our heart. Perhaps at times, the heart practices can be seen as an even finer instrument of archeology, span like the brushes that are used to gently sweep away the remaining dust covering the treasure of our own heart. Meditations are versatile. Sometimes you need a shovel doing the heavy lifting. And at other times you need something gentler, very subtle and refined to simply dust off the heart. But as we know, sometimes uncovering an ancient city can take a lifetime. There is no timetable that we can count on there is no guarantee that we will reach the forgotten treasure of compassion anytime soon. What is promised is that, there is, that it is there waiting, and at times we can hear it calling out to us, begging to be uncovered. The path of refuge recovery, if followed correctly and with persistence, will always lead to the recovery of our lost love and compassion one scoop at a time. We feel that it is only fair to also offer a warning. The path to uncovering our heart's positive qualities is a radical one. It is, it is fraught with the demons of the heart-mind that in Buddhism we call Mara. Mara is the aspect of heart-mind that creates roadblocks gives excuses, procrastinates, and urges us to avoid all the unpleasant mind states that accompany the healing of awakening. Mara is the inner experience of all forms of addiction, greed, hatred, and delusion. Mara will attack with vengeance at times, for by committing to the heart's liberation, we are committing to facing Mara directly. The Buddha spoke of his battle with Mara and victory over Mara was won, was won with the weapons of love and compassion, equanimity and appreciation. After the Buddha's initial victory, Mara did not give up, however. Mara continued to live with the Buddha throughout his whole life. The Buddha was constantly vigilant, always meeting Mara with a loving awareness, always disarming him with the heart's wisest responses. We too can live a life of responding wisely to Mara, to our addictive patterns, and to the pain of our past. Everyone has the ability to recover, love, forgive, and be compassionate. Ability is our birthright. The only issues are desire and willingness. Most people would readily confess the desire to be free from the addictions, hatred, anger, and fear that they live with. Although there are those 
of us who've become, who've been so badly injured or confused that they have lost all hope. Some of us have even created a belief in hatred as noble and necessary quality. Our experience shows us that even the most deeply wounded and confused hearts are healed when the principles outlined in our program of recovery are applied. We welcome you to the Refuge Recovery Way. If you follow this path, you will free yourself from all the unnecessary suffering of addiction, and you will inspire others to do the same. The practices in this book are not a quick fix. They are a map to a hidden treasure. You will have to do all the digging yourself, hopefully with the support of teachers and community, but it is ultimately up to you to do the heavy lifting or letting go as it may be. Your life will transform as ours have, and together we will create a positive change in this world. So some reflections um, on this chapter. I take these um, perspectives from uh, some traditional Buddhist teachings. Um, one being that over and over the Buddha said, I didn't, uh, I didn't create mindfulness. I discovered it. I didn't, uh, I didn't develop compassion. I uncovered it, and um, it's, it wasn't something that was foreign. It was something that through the discovery of mindfulness, through the uh, practice of turning the attention towards our own mind, towards our pain, compassion becomes the wise response, the rational, the, the skillful response to our pain. It's very um, practical in that way. Um, this perspective of Mara. So that, that uncovering, uh, the, the sutta that the Buddha, uh, that's kind of closest to this, what I'm reflecting on here, is called um, the city. And the Buddha says something like, it's as though I was wandering lost in the... Uh, jungle, lost in the, the thicket, uh, and, and my, my path was obscured. I couldn't find my way, but I just kept going. And he's talking about his early meditation practice and his early uh, studying with teachers that misled him. And he said, and, and eventually I came upon this forgotten uh, civilization, this ancient city. And um, I started to uncover it. I started to excavate it. I started to, you know, uh, re-inhabit this lost place. And of course, this whole thing is all analogy of uh, being internally lost in our, in, the, in our own sort of internal forest. And then discovering that it's possible to be mindful, it's possible to be uh, compassionate. And, and through these meditation techniques, 
uh, as I say in this, it's like the shovels and the instruments of uncovering, of excavating. I said, I found this ancient city and I excavated it and I re-inhabited it. And so he's talking about this process of something that was always here, it was just lost. That there's a natural goodness, a loving heart, a compassionate heart, a wise heart, a, a wisdom mind, a compassion mind that's always been here, but it's covered by our survival instinct of craving, our addictive patterns of, of craving and obeying our cravings. And that renunciation, when we establish sobriety, when we stop reacting to our pain or, or satisfying our cravings, we start to uncover and, and get to wake up to a natural goodness that is also part of the human condition. You know, this is where uh, Buddhism is very much a humanist psychology. We're not a, a theistic program. We're not a theistic perspective that thinks only some external higher power or God can uh, do this, but understands that actually human beings have these wise qualities, what sometimes are called divine qualities, the Brahma Biharas, the divine abodes, these very much human uh, potentials to be kind and compassionate, loving and forgiving towards ourselves and others, towards all living beings. The other um, teaching that I'm referring to in that uh, reflection and applying to, to refuge to our, to our recovery is um, the Buddha's enlightenment. The, um, after having practiced for seven years, he sat under the Bodhi tree. Many of you are familiar with this image where he says, you know, I'm, I know I'm close, so I'm just going to go into a, a deep meditative state until I uh, find liberation. And the last moments of his uh, experience where he says, I was attacked by Mara. I was attacked by greed and hatred and self-doubt. I think that this is really important for us and especially uh, any of us that have some idea that the enlightened state is free from difficult emotions or uh, uh, I'm always quite skeptical of addicts who say, well, I never had a thought about drinking again. <laughs> I never had a lustful thought again, you know, or, or, or of, of acting out in some way or another. The Buddha in his humility, he's saying, I was on the verge of enlightenment and my mind was attacking me with lustful, sexual, pornographic thoughts with this sort of like, uh, maybe you would just, maybe sex is the solution. His mind was saying that to him, like, you don't need to keep meditating, like, just go get laid. And then, and then you know, he, he says his understanding of impermanence. Uh, he says, Mara, I see, you know, I understand that sense pleasures are impermanent. They're not the cause of happiness. I'm seeking a happiness that's not uh, an, an impermanent sense pleasure. I want something more. I want something more sustainable than sense pleasure. 
And then Mara attacks with anger and violence and hatred. So he's sitting there on the verge of awakening and his mind is resentful, is angry, is attacking him. He says, it's like arrows and spears. And I was being, you know, this violent internal attack. He said, but I had learned compassion. So I was able to meet that mind state. I was able to meet the armies of Mara with compassion and forgiveness. Rather than anger and hatred, I radiated compassion towards those mind states. And the final attack, and what's often considered sort of Mara's last weapon, was self-doubt, was unworthiness. Again, so important here for all of us that sometimes feel unworthy, that sometimes feel insecure, that sometimes feel, and we think, well, maybe we're not doing it right. On the verge of final liberation, the Buddha is saying, my last thought was, who the fuck do you think you are? Mara attacks with this self-doubt. Why do you think you're worthy of happiness? Why do you think you're worthy of recovery when so many are you know, dying of addiction? Why do you think you're special? You get to get free with all of the alcoholism on this planet, with all of the addiction on this planet, becoming almost normal to be an addict. And, you know, and the Buddha touches the earth in this gesture, you ever see the um, image of a Buddha statue where one hand is in his lap and one hand is touching the earth, which is a, a common sitting, sitting Buddha mudra, the hand, move, hand, hand uh, positions are called mudras. He's touching the earth. He says, and the, the, uh, the assumption that, that touching the earth uh, meant that uh, I'm part of this planet. I'm part of these four elements and that I'm not special, and that none of us are special, but that all living beings have the uh, ability and have the worth and the capacity to wake up. And that is not some special quality, that it's part of our human uh, potential. It's part of, part of, part of uh, what we're able to do here. Uh, in these bodies, with these minds. We can train them to see clearly and to respond wisely. We can stay sober, we can stay in recovery, we can heal and we can wake up and get free. And that uh, it's something that all living beings have the ability to do. And again, the Buddha, um, there's this phrase here where uh, the Buddha says, I've seen through you, Mara, oh, house builder, he calls. And really it's the ego, right? That kind of way that our mind creates this sense of I, me, mine, my lust, my anger, my insecurity. And he says, I've seen through how the mind creates these insecure, this unworthiness, this uh, anger, resentments, clings to the past, craves for sense pleasures. He says, I've seen through you and you will not uh, have power over me anymore. 
And in some translations, he says, I banish you. If you ever do that to your own mind, you're like, you're at, I'm, we're breaking up. <laughs> I'm done with you. And I think that uh, my sense is that the Buddha was a little bit uh, surprised that actually Mara returned the very next day. Fully enlightened being. No more clinging, no more aversion, no more self-delusion. Meeting all pain with compassion, meeting all pleasure with non-attached appreciation. Right? This is the highest goal of human life attained. Peace, nirvana, recovery. He had recovered his natural goodness. We all have this potential. But had to continue to live with a mind that judged, that criticized, that criticized himself, that Mara attacked. Uh, had to continue to live with the human condition Enlightenment, awakening, recovery doesn't get rid of our emotions, doesn't get rid of the human mind, it doesn't get rid of the ego, but it shifts our perspective, it shifts our attitude, it shifts how we respond to those difficult emotions, to those unpleasant thoughts. And the Buddha's response every time was, I see you, Mara. Imagine how different your life would be, your happiness would be, if when your mind gave you bad advice, <laughs> you just turned towards your own thoughts and said, I see you. When your mind, you know, was uh, judging, was comparing was craving and it was not an appropriate uh, desire to satisfy and you just said I see you when uh, your mind was getting angry resentful hateful venomous and you were able to just turn towards your own mind and say I see this pain that's being covered with anger or this fear that's being covered with resentment, or this hurt that's being covered with ill will. I see you, Mara. So I share these perspectives. I think these, in my own recovery, these have both been very important pieces of the puzzle to let go of the expectation that uh, eventually my mind is gonna be perfect and live with the acceptance that the human mind is imperfect and that it's really about how we respond to, uh, you know, we still have to live with these instinctual drives of craving and aversion and self-centeredness. It's part of having a, a nervous system and a, and a mind. But that mindfulness gives us the ability to respond rather than react. And that what we are uncovering, what we are recovering is something that's always been here. 
a friend of mine after reading this chapter and, and hearing this perspective, he said, maybe we should call it uncovery instead of recovery. Maybe that's what we're really doing here, that we're not recovering from a disease. We are uncovering something that has been obscured. And that all of the years of drinking and using and uh, process addictions were just layering more avoidance, more layers of sediment on top of that which uh, our Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Path helps us uncover, helps us gain access to, reconnect with. Now, if you're like me, when I was new, and I heard these perspectives, I was skeptical. It's okay to be skeptical. I didn't feel like there was a lot of goodness in me. I felt like mostly mindfulness showed me that my mind was afraid and self-centered and I didn't see much kindness and compassion in there in the early days. I was talking to uh, a member of our program earlier today He's talking about in his first year and trying to do forgiveness and all of the resentment or all of the resistance to the forgiveness practice. And I was sharing with him, that's my, that was my experience too, for the first couple of years of doing forgiveness. It felt like I was kind of, I wasn't getting anywhere. And if anything, uh, some of those, uh, that, that perspective that I shared in this chapter of like excavating, it's just the skeleton yard. Like all I was seeing is how angry I was, how resentful I was, how self-centered I was. Uh, uncovering skeleton after skeleton or the trash heap of my life. But that some months and years into it, some of that starting to uh, be alleviated and, and be uh, sifted through and forgiven and the forgiveness practice and the compassion practice becoming more uh, genuine, more sincere, and more um, of a feeling rather than just some phrases I'm saying in meditation, more of an experience. So some of my um, reflections and commentary on this uh, chapter 13 of our program, of our book, and love to open up to some dialogue with you, the Sangha. So if you'd like to, um, any questions, comments, clarifications about any of this, you can raise your hand uh, in the, kind of raise the little blue hand in the um, dots by your, by your name or on your screen. Or um, you can send a message in the, uh, chat box if you don't want to ask your question or make your comment out loud. Russ, go for it. You can, yeah. I unmuted myself. Uh, thanks, Noah. That was great. Um, uh, Mara, obviously, I guess it's a metaphor. It's not a not a being, and it's a metaphor for something in our mind, like maybe the shadow self or something like that in psychological terms. But I wonder, 
Would it be helpful to also think of it as other people who present challenges to us? Can Mara inhabit other people or is it more our interpretation of other people or both or neither? Need to reflect on that a little bit, Russ. It's a it's a good question. I I tend to think of Mara as really being internal of how you know other people, no matter how uh, annoying, difficult, challenging uh, they are, our reaction to them, the mind that says you should hate this person, <laughs> you know, the mind that says maybe you should hurt them because you know they deserve it. All of that, all of that um, reactivity, I see, I see Mara mostly as that unskillful reactivity, the delusion that says, you know, um, more money will make you happy or sense pleasures are the solution or, you know, uh, destroy the enemy. <laughs> uh, violence is the solution. I tend to see Mara as mostly internal. There is a classic Buddhist perspective um, that doesn't believe that this is psychological analogy and, and just part of our own mind that actually believes that there are evil forces that manifest as people fucking with us. <laughs> um, but even if that's the case, still our own practice is how do we respond, right? The Buddha doesn't get pissed off at Mara, he has compassion for Mara every time. He you know, says, actually, we have the ability to have such great level of patience, great level of kindness, great level of compassion and forgiveness, that whether it's internal, our reaction, or it's external, some you know, people or, or situations, the solution comes back to, not that personal. <laughs> Compassion is the right approach. And, you know, it's not worth clinging to. Does that make sense to you? Yes, thanks. Welcome. Question here says, besides building a meditation practice, what tools in this program are most useful for starting out to handle the strong emotions that come up in early sobriety. Meditation practice, community. In order to handle the strong emotions, we need support. You need a whole bunch of people that you can talk to, that you can connect with. Um, and so we get that through the meetings um, and meeting people at the meetings right now, it's mostly online. so. Uh, coming to lots of online meetings and, and reaching out and saying, hey, I'm new or I'm, you know, I, I need to connect. Um, the inventories, which will give us more uh, awareness of what's underlying the uh, addictive tendencies and more awareness, um, what's fueling the strong emotions. get a mentor and um, then as soon as possible be of service to others and if you don't feel like you're at the place yet to start mentoring um, 
volunteerism, um, you know, just being, we have to get out of our own self-centeredness and, and, um, and help and be generous. Generosity is a core principle. Service is a core principle. So, um, you know, it's what we call Sangha, the inventory process, the meditation practice, service work that will be the, the greatest support to, to what we're doing here in Refuge. Thanks so much. Welcome. Um, I'm going to mess up the name here, message, last yeah, name. My first name is Etoile. It's Etoile. French. Okay. It's spelled weird. Um, I just wanted to say that I really um, appreciate, um, you know, meeting uh, the thoughts in my head about, hey, let's go back to addiction or the thoughts in my head, you know, about, um, you know, let's get really angry and take revenge or let's get, let's get really angry and do destructive things. Um, just meeting that with love and compassion, that, that was a good, a really good point for me to hear. And, um, I kind of, with that, I kind of see my, I kind of see myself literally like stopping and sitting down and breathing and just having that love, compassion conversation with myself. And also, you know, just breathing and maybe even going into meditation right then. Um, I, I have a, a weird situation where it's like I went into a relationship trying to use the person in the first place and then <laughs> and then the end of the relationship I get a comment from them about you know why they don't like me and um it was very it's kind of shamey the 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 comment they made and i'm struggling i'm like okay well first of all Paul, you can't say anything because you did something wrong and then the other thought was i don't want to be this person's friend because they shame me <laughs> so it's, i'm having this inner struggle and i was wondering if you had anything to say about like should I put up walls and be like, no, you're not my friend anymore? Or, or should I just have a conversation with this person? Just wondering how you would handle a situation like that. Um, thank you. And I, I'll first comment, um, I like what you were saying about that pause. You know, that when our mind is giving us, when Mara is attacking, how appropriate it is to pause and try to turn towards compassion, try to say, I see what's happening here. I see the bad advice my mind is giving me. Um, and the more you develop mindfulness, which will lead to seeing how impersonal much of those thoughts are, the more you develop kindness and compassion, the more there will become a natural response where you're like, no, 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 Mara. 
not taking the bait, not getting hooked, you know, so that will happen uh, more and more naturally. Um, for the second piece, first, the last part, which is the, the ouch that you experienced, tending to our own ouch with some compassion. And like, oh, that hurt, ouch. What's the wise response to feeling wounded, feeling injured, feeling offended, feeling, um, tending to it with compassion, even if we set ourselves up for it. Still, pain is worthy of our own compassion, right? Not, not doing that thing that, that we do, which is like, well, I set myself up for it, so I don't get to feel hurt. Like, no, no, I, I still get to feel hurt, even if I had a part, <laughs> even if I, uh, as you, you said, you know, did something unskillful in the, in the beginning, still um, tending to your own pain with compassion. And then the first part, which is um, asking for forgiveness, offering, you know, forgiving yourself for whatever unskillful uh, way that you, uh, I forget exactly what you said, but you entered into the relationship in some, some way that wasn't fully honest or, or with an agenda, something like that. Um, so you forgive yourself. You say, oh, you know, I, yeah, I, I fucked up and I'm trying not to do that. Uh, and I forgive myself for that. Um, not letting, you know, not dismissing it, taking full responsibility, but also forgiveness. And then with the forgiveness and the compassion, then you get to decide, um, looking not through the lens of resentment and guilt, right? Because <laughs> the forgiveness will help alleviate the guilt and the compassion will help alleviate the resentment. Then you get to look at this person and you say, is this somebody I want to be in relationship with? Do I want to be friends with this person? Is this, you know? Um, and then you get to decide, no boundary here, That's you know? Um, or you get to decide, yeah, with some forgiveness and some compassion, they're actually kind of a good person. And, you know, they, they're not, you know, it's somebody that I want to be friends with. So you get to decide that, but not deciding it out of the hurt. Just deciding it from a more stable place of compassion and forgiveness. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you so much. Welcome. Question from Adam, uh, when should one start doing the inventories? Is there value starting before pairing up with a mentor or should the early focus be on other things? Um, start right away. You know, don't, you, don't need a, you don't need a mentor to tell you to do it. <laughs> Although having a mentor is useful for the accountability, you know, a mentor might give you the um, assignment of like, hey, answer these three questions before we talk next week. And then that accountability will get you to, to do it. Um, but if you don't have a mentor yet, just start writing. 
sit down, start writing, work on your inventory, get it done, get a mentor to share it with, you know, um, uh, you'll find a mentor by coming to things like this and attending the, the meetings, the online meetings. So um, the early focus should be on meditation and meetings and meeting, you know, and, and developing Sangha community. So, you know, do your, do your sitting practice, alternating mindfulness and forgiveness practices um, so that you're developing both of those skills and, um, and go to lots of meetings and connect. You know, we need, we need each other, we need people. Um, but never too soon to start doing the uncovering work, the excavating work that that inventory is meant to be. Question here says, is anger ever is the is is anger ever okay? I am fostering my drug addicted nephew daughter and and um, nephew's daughter and he is fighting me to take her from me and I really want to punch him in the face. The anger issue is not getting better for me. Yesterday in the sitting with Mara practice, I was I literally felt sick. Um, So I want to say that, of course, anger is okay. Anger is supernatural. It's okay. All of our emotions are okay. <laughs> you know, like being human is okay. And even the most unskillful, unwholesome, even the ones that we suffer about the most, they're still okay because it's just part of being human. You're going to get really pissed off sometimes. Um, is it the wisest response to the pain? It's not. Anger is not the wisest response to uh, the pain of that situation where you're trying to care for a child and protect a child and being thought about it. Um, it's a very natural reaction to, to feel anger about that. Uh, ultimately, of course, Buddhism is trying to get us to go more to feeling the fear feeling the pain, feeling the underlying, the more primary emotions, and tending to those unpleasant emotions with mercy, with compassion, with forgiveness. Uh, my sense in, in this kind of situation is that you want to have a really good boundary and you want to fight for what's right for the kid, um, out of compassion for the kid, and even out of compassion for uh, the nephew, the, the, you know, the drug addict, you know, like, well, they need good boundaries and they need consequences. And, you know, like, but we can do it out of love. It's possible to do out of love. It's hard to do out of love. It's hard to do out of compassion. But our goal is to become more and more loving and more and more kind and more and more compassionate, but to really have kick-ass boundaries at the same time, <laughs> you know, and to really have kick-ass uh, kind of like, hey, oh, no, no, that shit's not okay. Oh, no, no, you're not, you know, no, 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 Mara, like, you're not fucking taking this kid. If I have any ability to fight for what's right, I'm going to fight for what's right. But we don't have to be pissed off to do that. We can do that out of kindness. 
again, I want to kind of say like the humility, part of our principles, the humility is to acknowledge like, we're not going to do it perfect. We're going to get pissed off. Of course we are. But we keep trying to come back to what's really going on here. I want to protect this child from any harm that I can. And I can do that out of compassion, out of care, out of love. So um, I know for myself, again, coming back to reflecting, I used to really think that I had to hold, that my anger was my power, that it was protecting me. Um, it took a long time to see that actually, uh, the Buddha used this analogy for anger. He said, you know, acting out of anger is like when we pick up a burning coal from a fire to throw at our enemy. First, you burn the shit out of yourself before you even hurt them. And that it's actually possible to move more and more towards still taking wise action, having good boundaries, but from a place of compassion rather than hatred. I hope that's helpful. Um, Robin, you can unmute. Hi, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, I have a comment. Um, I listened to a, a YouTube video of yours. It was from several years ago, years and years ago. I don't remember who you were with interviewing. And it was about... Um, about the program when it first started out. And um, basically what I got out of it was ignoring the mind. Like, don't listen to it. Because it's like lying to you. And it's giving you like a rash of shit. It's just... Um, Was I muted that whole time? Yes, I'm sorry. I tried to lower your hand and I hit mute on accident. I That's caught the right. first part that said um, uh, about ignoring the mind. So yeah, ignoring the mind, yeah. and um, you know, and I recognize it for what it was, and I'm grateful for those that I'm able to look back on some of those because I looked at some of the YouTube's. I was actually looking for the past um, weeks on this one, so I hope that we can get a reference, like, so that we can because I came in late to the show. Um, but anyway, I wanted to say that I really appreciated that because it gave me the ability today to just um, remember that since our um, last meeting and when we talked about mindfulness and not, um, and not confusing it with concentration. That was a big, that was a big aha. Uh -huh. You know, I really, uh, really kind of stuck with me, but um, having this discussion today and I had not read ahead at all. Um, so um, noticing that, um, ignoring, ignoring that yada, 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 what's going on there and what the mind is telling you is what I'm understanding is that Mara, that load of crap that my brain is trying to tell me in a ways to react now. As far as compassion is concerned, I, I know inherently that compassion is always the appropriate response whenever I'm agitated or something's angry. And I could, I could help, you know, friends and people and clients and whatnot, you know, with that aspect. And they're grateful for that, you know, to respond with compassion. The biggest um, challenge, I think, is what um, 
you were just talking about is responding with compassion to myself because I'm not, I mean, I, it, I, um, I try to cut myself a slack and I've learned, um, don't beat myself up so much, you know, for our past mistakes and whatever happened, it happened. It's in the past, whatever. I've got to live my best at the moment and in the now. And, um, so that's all I really wanted to comment is that I really appreciated that. And just to, to I, I, the reason that I brought that up is because I was actually looking for your past meetings of the past Thursdays. So I hope that we can find those. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I think that the past Thursday should be posted. Are you looking under the Refuge Recovery World Services podcast, uh, YouTube channel? That's where they no. should okay. all live. So look okay. under the World Services um, YouTube channel and all of these Thursday night talks should be on there. Um, and yes, it's very important. And I, we've talked about it some to see uh, ignoring the mind is an important skill. And part of this perspective of full mindfulness and relationship with Mara uh, is that we can't ignore the mind forever. So we have to become intimate with it and we have to develop the discernment of like, this is a wise, an unwise thought. This is Mara attacking and I can't uh, obey it. Um, and then, cause sometimes the mind also is the Buddha mind and is, is giving quite loving, you know, when the mind says you should forgive, you should be compassionate. Those are, it's good advice and you want to also, um, you know, heed that. Uh, and lastly, self-compassion is the final frontier. And it's one of the reasons why uh, what we're doing is so fucking radical because we are not wired for this. And that's this perspective of we have to uncover it, but it's, we're battling, we're, we're, we're covering the self Compassion uh, is covered by our survival instinct. Um, you know, we're, we're just not born with it. We have to uh, develop it. We have to uncover it. We've got to the meditation to create those neuro pathways takes some real time. Uh, it's a real effort. I'm not sure if I know how to answer this question, but I'll try. It is, um, how do you find the difference between renunciation and not if Mara continues to give self-doubt in relation to process addiction, food issues? Um, I'm not sure I completely understand the question. Um, if it's about... You're gonna to have to clarify this for me if I'm not uh, addressing it correctly. But I feel like sometimes what happens is uh, we're quite clear about our addictions. And you know, clear enough to establish abstinence. And if it's with food to create a bottom line behavior and you know, practice abstinence from what had become addictive. But then over time, Mara, the mind, starts to forget and starts to say, you know, and this is with every addiction. The, you know, at some point the mind says, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> you could, you know, you could eat that. Uh, you'll be able to find moderation this time. Um, you know, you could, you could, you could do that. 
And that is Mara. Like if you used to know that you were an addict and you forgot, <laughs> that is the part of the mind that we would call Mara that is trying to, you know, encourage the relapse, encourage the, um, so I'm not sure if that's the question or not, but my sense is, uh, if you have come into recovery, you've come into recovery for a good reason, and you've established abstinence and continue that process of, of abstinence and recovery. Now, here's a, another piece, and I don't know how many people can relate to it. So again, I'll reflect on my own experience. My experience is I got sober when I was 17 years old. I've stayed sober for the last 32 years. So of course, my mind says, dude, you were a teenager. Maybe you could smoke crack responsibly now as an adult. Of course my mind says shit like that because it's just what the human mind does. It's just what Mara does. It, you know, it's looking for the loophole. It's looking for the... Uh... So I think part of that is we just have to live with that sort of doubt. You know, I, I feel like very few people have zero doubt about, you know, their addiction. Maybe some of you feel like you burned it down for so long, there's no doubt about your alcoholism, your addiction, your food addiction, however it's manifesting. Um, the Dharma, if you really get a taste of the Dharma, if you really get a taste of liberation, then it doesn't matter. And, you know, that doubt about whether or not you know the food is still an issue, or the drugs, or the alcohol, or where is um, it actually doesn't matter because when you start to get a taste of mindfulness and living life sober, li living life awake, and having the ability to wisely respond to the world and to your own mind and to your own emotions, then it doesn't matter because whether you are an addict or not, you're still going to practice renunciation. There's still going to be a level of the fifth precept, which is that we abstain from the use of substances that lead to heedlessness. So a sober mind. Um, and I know it's more difficult, it's more subtle with, with food than it is with drugs and alcohol. But, um, you know, a life free from sugar, probably pretty good for all of us, <laughs> whether we're addicts to sugar or not. Right. So if it had become, a, you know, or maybe it's not sugar, maybe it's something else. Um, nothing wrong with continuing uh, renunciation is, is sort of is my my perspective. Is it like quite good to continue, even if there's some doubt about whether you could return with some balance? Probably a better idea to continue with renunciation. Okay, I've got time for one last question. Lydia. Hi, thank you for calling on me. Um, I had a question about when you were talking about Mara. If I left anything, I'll just call you later. Um, so like, 
So I noticed like every, so my clean date is like on the 1st of September. So like every, every month around the 1st or like every month at the end, like the last week, like I get, um, you know, like using dreams and I get cravings and urges and I've been using like meditation and doing a lot of refuge recovery meetings. Um, but I was wondering like, is that normal? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Like Mara is like just another form of like pause or triggers or like, and it, it's just gonna happen every month on the first. Like I'll have a year in September on the first, but I feel like every six months, like, you know, then you get to the eighth month and then it's just, it's just, am I gonna have to do this like my whole life? Like, I don't really know. And what's like an appropriate way to handle like, like, yeah, yeah, I see you, you know, you're over there, you're doing your thing, but I'm over here, you know? So that's what I've been trying to do, but it's just like uncomfortable, you know what I mean? Like, totally. Like any suggestions? I know this chapter has been really helpful for me, but. Yeah. Um, well, of course, of course, I don't know the answer of, you know, how long that's going to persevere for you or for any of us. And uh, we're all sort of on different trajectories with with the, the process. Some people report that like, you know, they never have the, the cravings and that they were just done, done. Uh, and some some of us, uh, you know, report that uh, it was an, it's an ongoing kind of thing that the mind suggests and that we just don't obey it. So I don't know what how long it's going to per, uh, persevere for you. My sense is with time, it will lessen. My experience has been over the years, it becomes less frequent and, and less intense. Um, and that it's really about how we respond to it. One is this perspective, which is with mindfulness, I see you. Uh, and then the other is the other tools that we have. And it's, you know, is we, we go to the meetings and we talk about it. We talk to our mentors about it. We talk to our Sangha, our friends about it. Uh, rather than keeping that in, we, you know, report, oh, my, you know, my mind's doing this and I probably need a little bit more accountability. Uh, or, or connection or support, you know, especially during those those periods of, of um, the using dreams or the, the cravings or whatever it is. Um, and on some level, yes, we all have to live with the addict mind, the Mara mind. Um, and we can stay sober and we can stay free and we can stay uh, stay the course and tolerate those unpleasant thoughts and see them as, as unpleasant thoughts that we don't have to obey. Hope that's helpful. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. Next week, Breaking the Addiction, which is our last chapter um, for this series. And then, as I said at the beginning, we will... Um, Think about how to continue Thursday is what will be most useful. If you have requests, we can, you know, continue in some function or another. Sorry if there were some questions I didn't get to tonight. Um, as most of you know, this is done just as a service. I don't receive any money for this. I do request that you support Refuge Recovery World Services. If you can make a donation, that will go to support the organization that is here to support 
the organization of the meetings and runs the websites and has organized all of these online meetings and everything. So there should be a um, link in the chat to uh, Refuge Recovery World Services. If it's not yet, it'll show up any moment. Um, Um, well, you can go to the refugerecovery.org to, to donate. If you're able to do that, please do. Please support uh, the organization. And um, many goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of uh, refuge recovery, this Buddhist path, be shared outward in all directions to um, make a positive change on this planet and support all who are seeking recovery. Thank you for your time, your attention, your participation. Um, if there's people here that are uh, looking for mentors or are willing to mentor, um, I will unmute everybody and um, you know put it in the chat. And if you wanna hang out, if you're able to mentor or if you're looking for a mentor, feel free to, to hang out for a few minutes and connect. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery, and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery Path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.